listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. Today we have a special guest coming to us from Indianapolis, Indiana. He's somebody that I've been following for years, so I was super excited when he agreed to join us on the show. He's put out a tremendous amount of content on Bigger Pockets. He's just recently released a book, Zero to 400 Units, and he is the principal at Sonder Investment Group. Sterling White, welcome to the show. All right. Thanks for having me on, Sterling. It, it's so I, I got to get used to that for right now. The, the yeah, other Sterling yeah. on the other. I, I'm going to start calling you Mr. White because it's very <laughs> unusual for me to. Co- I, I, honestly, in my whole life, I've really only ran into two other Sterlings, so there's not a whole lot of us running around out there. I would say now you are officially the third for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so I would say everyone who's on here, go ahead, get your popcorn ready. Fasten your seatbelts because we're going to take you on long for a ride. <laughs> awesome. Well, kick us off, man. Tell us the story. How do you get from zero to 400 units and bring it back to the beginning? Yeah. So I would take it just starting from childhood, but I'll give you all a, a spark note version and really compact it for you all. So born and raised in Indianapolis, Indiana, not so good parts of the city where you wouldn't want to walk your dog at night or even during the day. Fraternal twin brother, single mother, dad wasn't around very much. And I remember there was one particular instance to where you would consider it the projects where we lived. We lived on the bottom floor and outside of our windows were cages. So there was that. And then I remember every other day we had to get down on the ground because there was just miscellaneous like stray bullets, people that were shooting at one another. So that was just another day in terms of how I lived. And I ended up using that as fuel versus a crutch. First entrepreneur venture was in my elementary days where Kool-Aid, then Pokemon cars, then anything I get my hands on in the legal sense, because uh, at that time, of course, was on living in Section 8 housing, government assistance, food stamps, and fast forward, got in real estate 2009, construction, got my hands dirty, shifted to investing, 23 years old, and this was 2013, bought my first deal, no money out of pocket, scaled up to 150 single families, exited out of all the single families and strictly just owned multifamily with just under 400 units. So that's the compact version of my journey. <laughs> Yeah, let's let's unpack that a little bit. So, uh, what is it? Obviously, you know, typically people that come from those type of environments are are generally as successful. What was it that drove you to kind of change the direction there? I had this very pivotal moment, and to make a long story short, I was at this college party, call it what it is, having a great time, and I find myself drifting, and we're, we're at a boathouse, and I find myself drifting away from the, the crowd, and I end up on this, on this boat, and I'm out in the middle of the lake, and it's just me, myself, and I'm feeling really good uh, due to the booze that I was drinking, and there's this beaming question that comes down to me and says, Sterling, is this what you want to do with your life? And up until that point, I was just drifting into average land, and then I answered back to that question, no, this is not, and that's why I really changed a different trajectory in my life, and I feel in that environment that I grew up in, as well as the projects, uh, a lot of gang-related activity, I was always a good kid. So I did get pulled into that. But then later in life, I ended up having that pivotal moment that really changed the trajectory of my life for the better. So my question is, you know, there's making the decision that I want to be successful in life. I made that decision very early. And, I, you know, that's going to college, getting a good job, all that kind of traditional course. I mean, that's enough to make the decision. I don't want to drift away. I want to be successful. But how did you even take it to the next step and decide, you know what, not only am I going to be successful, but I'm going to be 
above that normal average successful where you go to college and get degrees and have long time corporate jobs. I'm going to go and be an entrepreneur. I'm going to go invest. And I, I mean, I didn't even know this world existed at 23. How did you find it? Uh, so I would say the universe in a way. And it all started with self-improvement, Sterling. And I, I still got to get used to that, Mr. <laughs> And so that was something that really ingrained in me as well. One, growing up, I've always had the entrepreneurial spirit, just always having the hustle to earn money. Legal sense, I always have to mention that to everyone. (laughs) And it was the real self-improvement. I came across Earl Nightingale, the Tony Robbins, the Zig Ziglar's that really helped me because I had so many limiting beliefs, but they really helped rewire my whole entire brain to where, hey, don't go for average go shoot for the stars. And if you miss, you'll still end up further along than many other people. So that's where it really started. And that that moment that I had where that question came down to me, one, I cut out the news because so much negativity associated with that. And still to this day, I don't watch the news uh, unless it's on at the the gym and I, because they just have it on. I don't even watch it. There's that. And then secondly- On that topic, it's a a quick (laughs) joke. So when you sit at the gym, when you're on the, the cardio equipment, they have mm-hmm. the different stations next to each other. And if you watch the different stations side by side, it's almost like they're reporting on two different worlds. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't, that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I cut out the news, cut off all my friends because they were not going where I wanted to go. Great people. And third is I started on the self-improvement. So that's what really helped pave the way from a success mindset. And I still know to this day that there is limiting beliefs that I have that I'm constantly every day wanting to ever evolve. Absolutely. And I think people people really underestimate how important it is to constantly put that stuff into your mind. You know, mindset is, is so much of everything that we do. And if you, yeah, it's always say, you know, some people make fun of it and think it's wonky, but you know, I could tell you a hundred unsuccessful people that will tell me how stupid mindset preparation is. And then I can tell you a hundred successful people who swear that's what got them the entire way, but it's constantly put in. I think Zig Ziglar used to make the, the, comment, motivation isn't permanent, neither is bathing. That's why we recommend you do it every day. It's constantly okay. important to continue to put that, that positive increasing stuff into your mind. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And on this podcast, I can go into all the tools, tactics, strategies, but if you don't have the mindset and the right way of thinking, you're going to go into the analysis paralysis. There's this one guy that I know, uh, Cody, that talks about YouTube University. So you'll go through all this binge watching and never take action. And I'm just a firm believer that it starts with the, the mindset. Absolutely. So tell us about the first deal. How did you crack into it? How did you go from the, the mindset development, the all the positive success stuff, and, and what made you land specifically on real estate? And then how did you take action on that first step once you decided that's what you wanted to do? Yeah. So I fell into to real estate, or you could say it was the, the universe. And there's this one guy that his name is Alex that has been that I don't even know. What you, I wouldn't say a guardian angel, but he's always been there for the pivotal moment. So he's the one that actually got me started in real estate on the construction side. And then he was also in that moment where I had that boathouse. So it, yeah. And he actually lives right around the corner. I'm taking, I'm, I'm digressing, but in essence is I, what, what was that question? One more time, Sterling. <laughs> What was it that made you specifically choose real estate? And then how did you take action once you made the decision? 
Got it. So my roommate at the time in college, dad owned a construction company. So I had some free times during the summer and that's how I ended up getting my foot in the door. Got it. So what did that first deal look like for you? So I was a laborer on the construction side. And from there is I was getting my hands dirty and I knew ultimately where I wanted to be is I wanted to actually be the investor versus the one that's actually the laborer. Because I was mixing the mortar and providing it to the bricklayers. Huge grind from that. And I said, I'd rather be the one that's actually developing the property and then getting residents in place and then they pay me to live there. So that's where I knew I wanted to be. And then I ended up finding a mentor where I started working for that person for completely free. In exchange is I learned so much about the industry. I actually dropped out of college to focus full-time on real estate and ended up bringing him the deal. And he funded the purchase price as well as the rehab and threw me into the fire. Hey, Sterling, go figure everything else out. Awesome. So you said you, you started, you built up 150 single family houses? Yes. Now, were you what we call burring those? Is that, was that pretty much how you built the portfolio? Yes, in a way, not from a loan. So my partner and I, we would buy the houses, 10 single family homes. And from there, we would own them all cash. So these are C-class properties. Indianapolis very affordable. And then what we would do is we would have friends and families cash, buy those, renovate them. They're fully cash flowing. And then we would bring in outside investors, cash ourselves out, and then go do it again. And then they would retain equity from it and get a return on their cash. Awesome. So that's how we were able to scale so quickly. How did you find these houses? Uh, A multitude of things. So did the bandit signs. That was one route. Uh, There was the yellow letters. So the handwritten did the MLS. So did multiple channels on the acquisition side. That was a huge undertaking buying that many single families for sure. Absolutely. What did you find the most effective way to find these under market deals were? I would say a mix of the MLS, which this was in 2014, 2015. So now it's, I mean, more competitive. Yeah. Yeah. So there was that. And then also bandit signs were very effective and also direct mail. So I would say those three channels really helped. Absolutely. So why did you make the transition from single family to you said now you exclusively do multifamily? Yeah. So it was more so economies of scale is the, the most thing that we took a step back and said, hey, where do we want to be in the future? Managing that many single families. So they were here in Indianapolis and had about 30 or so that were in Dayton, Ohio. So that was very intensive in terms of that because it was self-managing and then took a step back. Hey, where do we want to go in the future? Multifamily was our ultimate vision. Why not go there now? And of course, there's the dynamics of economies of scale. You got multiple units that are in one place. Also, it's more driven on an income basis. So if we drive up the NOI, that is what the end buyer is looking at. So we looked at the pros and cons to each model and the pros made the most sense in the multifamily versus the single family. So where do you buy multifamily? Is it the same place? Is it Indianapolis? Indianapolis and also Louisville, Kentucky and other Midwestern markets as well as prospecting, but primarily here in Indianapolis and Louisville. Awesome. And how did you pick those markets? Obviously, Indianapolis is your backyard and you're very familiar with the area. How did you go about picking Louisville? Louisville is one of the markets I've targeted well. I just want to hear you tell the guests how you selected that area. Yeah. So it's a very short drive from Indianapolis and short drive is all subjective, but it's just under two hours. So there was that. 
had very similar economics in terms of ending up. So very landlord friendly, meaning if a resident has reached their, their lease, that it takes anywhere between 30 to 45 days to ultimately get them out versus in Chicago, it could be six to eight months. So there's that. Also like the settings, the purchase price on the per unit basis in correlation to what we would be able to rent that for. So it was very similar economics uh, as far as Indianapolis asset classes and also rent. So it made the most sense to do that. So when you're buying these multifamily assets, what size properties are you looking for? And then what is your business plan for the properties? Are you, are you buying stabilized assets and just kind of riding the cash flow? Are you buying distressed assets and doing a value add play? What do you do with these properties once you get them? So these are B2C properties that and have since shifted the, the model over the, the years, still have the bottom line of 75 units because with 75 units, you can get an on-site community manager as well as a maintenance tech and then 75 to 200 units and target market rates. So rents between 700 to 1,000 and so have shifted because the most recent transaction here in Indianapolis was 156 units of which it needed $2 million of work. And the one right before that was 80 units that needed $1 million of work. So have shifted to those ones that are built in around the, the 1970s and look more for that are stabilized 1980 to 2000 built. Got it. So does it sound like you're getting more progressive with the amount of work that you'll do on a property? So less. less. So looking for something more stabilized and a lot more uh, in terms of intensive of uh, deferred maintenance, there's not as much. Of course, with that, you're going to have to pay a little bit more. But yeah, I, I feel that what's been happening is the value add, those heavy lifting ones, we go direct mm -hmm. to owner, but those are starting to be very close in terms of the cap rates with the ones that are even more stabilized. So it makes the most sense to actually be willing to pay a little bit more for this one. Got it. So how are you going direct to owner? Are you using the same tactics you did to find those single family houses? So a completely different one. And yeah, so primary channel is actually cold call. So we'll pull the, the public record. That very first deal that we had acquired was a 46 unit in which took the driving for dollars approach and found a property that needed work. The parking lot looked like an alligator's back. The signage was a little bit uh, outdated and it just looked very bland. So everything's public record. So pulled the public record. So I was on the LLC, found out who owned the LLC and filed it, gave them a call. And this was actually their last apartment that they were selling. So that's how the shift was made to multifamily. And all the, all the deals have been direct to owner. Similar approach to that one. Awesome. So what's your plan for the future? I would say, and this is what I write down on a daily basis in terms of goals, is to have just over 3,000 units across the Midwest. So that's one goal. And then an additional one is just to continue to be an ideal for those individuals that came from the environment that I came from, that, hey, you don't have to take this path that most people take. And ultimately, unfortunately, my brother ended up taking. This is one path that you could take. And here is how I took it. And here's the roadmap and blueprint. Awesome. So what advice do you have for anybody out there who's looking to get started? Maybe somebody, somebody from that environment or anybody else that's, that's looking to change their life through real estate investing? Yeah, I would say if you can find a mentor, that would be golden. That's the exact route I took. I found a mentor and reached out to him and said, how can I be of value to you? And here's the kicker. You don't have to pay me anything. 
And from that is that's how I was able to get my foot in the door and it paid so much more in terms of value than I was able to actually get from college and go in debt for. But that's a whole nother topic in itself. Absolutely. So do you, are you a believer in the, the paid mentorships? A lot of people out there selling paid mentorships these days. I would say I don't see any issues with that. It's just about digging and finding who the person is and that they're what they're teaching. They've been there and done that. Myself, I would have paid for that mentorship in that case. But however, I didn't have the cash. So I exchanged my time, which I would say is even more valuable than cash. Absolutely. So looking back, is there anything you would have done differently or anything you wish you would have started doing sooner? I would say one thing looking back is I'm glad I started on the self-improvement. That's one thing I always pat myself on the back on that that was so crucial and really laying the foundation. But going back, if I were to do it over again, I would have understood how vital sales is. Sales is everything that has been the absolute unlocking game changer for me. Absolutely. I like in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, when Robert Kiyosaki said, uh, it's the number one selling financial <laughs> book of all times, not the number one written book of all times. Yeah, love it. Love it. <laughs> so what other advice do you have to share with our listeners? One thing that really helped me additionally was understanding what my strengths are and weaknesses and then getting people in place to offset those weaknesses the, the partners that I've had. I'm more of an extrovert. As you guys can see, I'm all jittery and all uppity and I'm all outbound in terms of the sales, the, the marketing, building the relationships, bringing leads in from that. But when it comes to underwriting, financials, operations, that's not my skill set. So I ended up getting someone to plug into that because I feel when you're starting a business, there's so many different holes that you have to plug. So if you both are good at sales, marketing. What about everything else? So that was one thing that really helped for me and that I've also learned from others too that are far along than I am. So I'm glad you brought that topic up. And I'm, you know, I'm asking for myself because I'm in the process of trying to expand and build a team. And, you know, I always say I'm so lucky to have a podcast because all these like great people out there have accomplished so much. All I have to do is tell them I have a podcast and I get I get to get them on here and ask them (laughs) all the questions I've been having, like, you know, with my own self. But so what advice do you have for for building a team, for finding a partner? So many people try and and go it alone and so so many people don't want to split up the pie and they, you know, they sometimes pride is involved and they want to say they built it themselves. So can you tell us a little bit about your opinion on on building a team and partnerships? One, that that person, uh, you think of the largest companies that are out there, Microsoft, how many employees do they have in terms of the, the team? So I would say if someone has that, they could have a scarcity mindset versus more so an abundance. So, I mean, in terms of just building a team is if you want to be able to scale. So one thing that happened with me when first starting, it was both my partner and I, and when we were growing, so we, we had our acquisitions arm of our company. And then also we had our property management. We could have easily just stayed strictly in the day to day on the property management. Cause that in itself is, oh, up. And yeah. <laughs> so from there, what we ended up doing is just documenting what we were doing. And so such as the leasing, the administrative side, and then also we had experience from another operator that had managed well over a thousand uh, in terms of single families. So we understood the roles associated with that. So we got into the trenches as we were building, wearing multiple hats, 
documented what we were doing. And then we started hiring once we got additional revenue in. And then we kept focusing on our own skill sets. And then we would still come together at the end of the day. But yeah, we always just stayed in our separate lanes. Yeah. Property management can, I used to want to start a property management company and I recently turned over all the property management on my properties. And I've said it several times. I feel like I bought a shiny new car that day. It was so (laughs) relieving. (laughs) It just seems to be a a double-edged. Because one thing that I've learned is you see the larger operators is they outsource and they do third party. And then once they get to a certain point, then that's when they decide to bring it in house. But I see it's always, it goes vice versa, but it's just one of those things is, do you want to focus your energy, resources on building that versus you would just manage the management team? But the flip side of that is no one's going to manage your properties like you, but also included in that too is you may not be a good manager. So there's also... (laughs) No one mentions that. You may not. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> so I want to go into our radio round where we just help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. So the first question I have is, what is your favorite book? I would say it would be a audiobook, CDs. And this was one that really helped me with the foundation. It was Essence of Success by Earl Nightingale. And he was actually the one who pioneered listening while learning, which is what we know now today is audiobooks. Awesome. I will have to check that out. I've, I've never heard that one. Next question is, what's your favorite quote? We are the creators of our destiny. Awesome. Do you know where that came from? I forget. I, I actually have it in my bedroom. I don't, I don't know who particular it came from. Earl Nightingale talks about it, but it's just one of those things that I feel no matter what happens, that at the end of the day, you can figure it out and get to where you're looking to go. And if something's not going your way is to internalize it versus looking from the exterior side. Awesome. And then finally, what is your favorite thing to do when you're not working? Uh, I would say buying deals. No, I'm just, uh, I would say... <laughs> training for so a Spartan race. I do those. In addition to that, the biggest thing that I got from college was this class called ornithology, which was elective class, which is the study of birds. So I will go out and with my binoculars and I will look at birds because I, I, yeah, I'm fascinated by it, but I would recommend for those of you who may consider taking this on, do not go through neighborhoods. (laughs) It's not recommended. So make sure you go to like a a trail or forest or something along those lines. (laughs) So I'm, I'm with you on the training. I've always wanted to do a Spartan race. I've done several 70.3 Ironmans and marathons. I always say the next time the Spartan race comes to town, I'm going to do it. The bird watching, I don't know that I have the patience for that, but uh, absolutely. So where can our listeners find out more about you? Yeah. So one is the company website, sonderinvestmentgroup.com. And then also on the Instagram, Sterling White Official. One more time, that is Sterling White Official. And if you happen to have any questions, don't hesitate to slide into the DM, which is the direct message. I'm a millennial, so that's what I use. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Sterling, thank you so much for joining the show. We look forward to learning more about you and following up with your story as you uh, continue to expand. Thanks for dropping some knowledge on us today. Well, sure. Thank you, Mr. Chapman. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us 
at crestworthcapital.com or rentrollradio.com or follow us on Facebook at rentrollradio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at rentrollradio.com or sterling at crestworthcapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.